Welcome to episode number 63 of the Four Animals for Earth show, creating a certified wildlife habitat in our own backyard with Jess Taylor and Natalie Ringeis. The full circle of it. If you're actually going to help wildlife, then you want to make sure that you're putting your energy into things that are for the animals that are there. And your only only way you're going to know is if you hang out. That was Natalie talking about how simple it really is to get started with doing this. So Jess and Natalie team up over at lovethegreenlife.org based in Akron, Ohio. They are both super passionate about living a greener life and making that simple and accessible to everyone. I first heard Jess and Natalie on their podcast, which is also called Love the Green Life, and I just fell in love with them immediately. They are so funny and so sweet and so down to earth. And I have to tell you, I listened and I was just like, oh my gosh, like these are my soul sisters. You know what I mean? I just was totally on the same level and vibe with them and I couldn't wait to meet them. I reached out and we connected and we continue to connect over the months since then. Uh, There's been a few different ways that you may have heard me talk about them before. I spoke at their summit back in June and did a workshop called How to Make a Difference Without Spending a Lot of Time or Money. Uh, They had interviewed me on their podcast and I kind of repurposed that to the Four Animals for Earth show back in episode 45. Uh, Oh my gosh, just so many things. But I had heard an episode on their podcast that I just got so excited by and really, really wanted them to come here and talk talk to us about it. And it was all about creating this certified wildlife habitat. This is something that the National Wildlife Federation does. It is a certificate that you can get But it's honestly way more than that, obviously. It's about giving back and it's about helping the animals around us. So, you know, we all know as human beings, we have been sadly taking natural habitat and natural lands for many years now. And a lot of times not even really realizing what we were doing. And sadly, as we all know, the animals that live there, the nature that lives there, they don't have the resources that they need anymore to survive easily. So something that we can do that is actually really straightforward is create a certified wildlife habitat within our own domain or our space. And this could be a backyard if we have a house, but this can also be a balcony if we have an apartment. There are so many different ways to do this and provide resources for animals to to just give back within that little bit of land that is actually in our control. So I loved this concept because you know I love simple things that we can actually get our hands around and do. So the structure for today's conversation is in the beginning we're going to dig into Jess and Natalie's stories. I wanted to learn a little bit more about them. They're both moms, they're both teachers, and they're close friends that have come together to build this organization that is just incredible. So after we hear a bit from them, then we're going to dive into what a certified wildlife habitat is. And it's it, it to build the wildlife habitat within our backyard, there's five different areas that we cover. 
And what we do is we create sources for each of these things within our yard. So the first one is cover, so shelter for the animals. Number two is food. Number three is water. Number four is places to raise their young. And number five is sustainable practices. So we're going to dig into what those five things are and specific ideas that Natalie and Jess have done in their yards that, you know, could hopefully give us some inspiration for our own spaces. The simple idea for today's episode is to take 15 minutes of our time and sit in our outdoor space. We can take a journal with us, a cup of coffee, we can color. It doesn't really matter what we're doing. The point is to be out there and be aware and to get to know all of the little friends that we share our space with and That is how we can take that very first step to get to know our area, all of the fun critters and animals around us, and what we could actually do to provide them some help. Quickly, before we dive into the episode, I wanted to remind you of the free library that I created about a month ago. I consolidated all of the different shopping guides that I've written, our five-step conscious lifestyle challenge, the 50 simple ideas ebook, and just some other fun stuff all into one place. Basically, I had been making freebies for years, and they were all in different places with different signups, and I decided, you know what, let's just have everything in one place so you can get it all in one spot in the four animals for earth free library which is at fouranimalsforearth.com slash free library so i hope you'll jump over there and check that out and jump onto my email list so that i can be in touch with you more and get to know you better i am really working on some different ideas for all of us to extend our relationships and our friendships and our ability to make a difference beyond just the show So I hope you'll go check that out and sign up for today's show notes, which are going to include links to all of these different things that we talk about. Go to fouranimalsforearth.com slash podcast slash 63. Hi there, this is Brandy, and you're listening to the Four Animals for Earth podcast. This is a space where we inspire each other to take small steps every day to live a more conscious life, helping animals and the planet while we do it. I'm so glad that you're here. Let's all take a deep breath and let's get started. What was your journey into, let's call it sustainability for lack of a better overarching word, and um, also just your journey into friendship with each other? Well, Jess has a really beautiful story about how she became vegan, um, and I'm not, I'm, I'll let you share your pieces and parts of that because it, it's, it's a really lovely story story about her. Um, but our friendship, I think it was rooted in nature. We both taught at a nature-based project-based charter school. So already her and I, um, were entering an education space that was non-traditional that put, um, environmental education, nature-based education, gardening with children. It put that as a central focus. That was the central focus of the school. So already her and I, um, I taught um, elementary grades, just taught performing arts. So already her and I were in a space that highlighted that as a folk, as a value. 
And her, her and I became really quick friends because our boys are similar age. Um, I was on maternity leave when Jess first started teaching mm-hmm. and she was getting um, her and her husband were going through the adoption process. And um, then I came back to school. Um, I had my son and then not, gosh, that summer mm-hmm. is when you got your son. Yeah. So we both got our boys um, within the same, you know, what, eight, 10 months or so. Mm-hmm together. So we kind of also connected on just that journey of motherhood um, as environmentalists, as people who are nature-based. So we really wanted, we really connected on that journey of motherhood and um, we became friends that way just because we were at a lot of, we had a lot of some real points in life. Now, now that I am um, currently no longer teaching, I'm learning, I'm crossing over out of the teaching field um, into the business world. Um, and Jess is doing the same thing. Um, she's crossing over from the performing arts teaching world to the business world. So now that now we're working on this transition together and I couldn't have asked for a more inspirational person. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited for you to hear from her too and <laughs> because um, she's been an amazing uh, colleague and friend um, and she's really helped enhance my green life. So I'm really happy to share uh, what we have for everybody today because it's been really inspirational me personally I I feel like you've really helped my journey too I feel like we both have like different aspects of it so that's why it's really good because there's a lot of stuff that you're super knowledgeable about that I'm not and I feel like I'm learning like that's why like I sent her a message last night I'm like um I need help how do I winterize my rain barrel (laughs) like I keep forgetting to ask tell me (laughs) so So that's what it's a great blend for us. Like we just, we both have different like walks of life in our sustainability journey that it meshes well together. But I, um, I really started like at a very young age. I grew up across the street from an egg farm and my mom worked there and, you know, at a very small age, I questioned what I was being given to eat and, I don't remember this, but my mom always tells the story that this was like the road I was destined to be on because she gave me chicken and I asked her what it was. She was like, chicken. I was like, but what is it? And she's like, chicken. I kept saying, but I don't get it. And she's like, oh my gosh, like what is wrong with you, kid? Like it's chicken. And I said to her, like the animals, because I had saw them like all the time across the street. And she was like, yes, like an animal. I was like, Ooh, yeah, no, I'm not eating that. And that was like my, my childhood journey. I always hated like typical American kid foods that, you know, like I was probably like the annoying kid to be invited to parties. Cause I was like, Oh, we're going to feed this kid. You know, I wasn't a vegetarian or anything because I was like eighties and nineties, not even like heard of, but, um, you know, I just was thought of as a picky eater. So it was my first year of college. I was just like, well, I'm an adult now. This is what I'm doing. And that was in 2003. And it was still like not heard of. I was met with tons of people that were like, you're not going to be able to do this. You're not going to be able to sustain this. Like, why would you do that? Where are you going to get your protein? You know, all that stuff, because they just didn't know about it. And like that drove me to just be like, I'm going to prove everybody wrong. 
And so here I am almost 19 years later, still like have not had any meat since then. I'm now a vegan for six years once I discovered I had a dairy allergy and now it's so much easier. But, um, I just always had this like love for animals and this, like, just, I knew like, I just did not want to eat them, you know? And it was just, I didn't, because of the time I grew up and I just didn't understand what that meant, you know, like, and now I can have a four-year-old who's been a vegan and it's completely okay and accepted. Mm -hmm. And his doctor thinks it's awesome, you know, but like in the eighties and nineties, it wasn't like that. So um, that was like my journey as far as that goes, but I've always been like in love with saving the planet. Like I remember in fifth grade, I got this book called save our planet. And I was like this little nerdy girl that carried it around everywhere. I had like the pages bookmarked and circled and highlighted <laughs> and outlined. And, um, so yeah, so it was, I feel like this was just like my life mission and I just, it took a while to figure out how to make that happen and kind of having the right people entering my life to make it happen. That's amazing. And I guess the right time, right? Because yeah. there were other things filling your life until mm-hmm. this kind of opening um, was created. You know, I, I think it, I'm assuming the idea was there, but I know COVID opened a lot for you to be able to, to really kind of move love the green life forward. Yeah, for sure. I mean, my work was closed for months, you know, it gave me the opportunity to really start putting into place like the nonprofit portion of it. And, um, also having somebody in my life who was like, Hey, I can set that up for you and you don't have to pay me right now, because that was another roadblock was like paying a lawyer to set it up. And then she's like, I'm going to do a nonprofit fee, which was like ridiculous, like how cheap she like did it for us, but she set it up for us. So it was just finding those right people, having that right timing and, you know, being patient with that, I guess, Um, you know, things happen when they're supposed to happen. That's true. And it's so hard to um, (laughs) keep telling yourself that. Yeah, that's why I was was just smiling. I was already... Um, planning on resigning my my teaching position because I taught for had taught for 14 years. I was already planning on resigning my position to be home more with my husband's um, per, with his job and things. I need to be home more for the kids. So we were already working on just the transition of me being at home and figuring out other avenues of income. And I decided to jump on with the nonprofit as a hobby. Um, I had been working over 40 hours for years with children and nursing through all that and, and childcare through all that and doing baby led weaning. um, It was just a lot. So I really, this doing love the green life with Jess and just helping her was a way for me to uh, grow my hobby and my passion and my love for nature and the planet, because that was always a core joy of me teaching with children was the environmental impact. I gardened with the kids. Um, we did, we, we, we hiked daily for one group. We hiked every day, every morning. We took a 20 minute hike every morning, um, as a class just to wake us up and just see what we could see. And it was really, um, incredible. So I missed that nature connection that I had with my students. Um, I just moved it on to friends. <laughs> <laughs> which is a lot better for me right now in life, you know? Yeah. 
So that really, and we built habitats like with the class, like we would build bug hotels out of recyclables for the bugs and put Composting. in, we made, we, I had compost bins, I had worms in my classroom. Um, we, we definitely, we studied, um, another class made a whole monarch butterfly garden. So my class got to really uh, experience that through the other, through the older children and learn from them about the monarch butterflies and how you can grow plants to it help their life. So um, having an episode on certified wildlife habitats was really cool for us to kind of tell other people that, hey, you can do this too. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we did it with kids, but you could just do this. Like you don't have to have a classroom or a teacher. Well, I just did it in my yard. And you just did it in your yard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that is, it's so cool. Like number one, the school that you taught at sounds incredible. (laughs) You know, I think just like for children to grow up with that opportunity Mm -hmm. to to learn through a nature-based environment, it's just, it's really cool in and of itself. And I, you know, I think it's probably a lot more common out here in California, but where you are in Ohio, I don't know how common that is, but it's pretty Mm -hmm. cool that you, um, you both found that Mm -hmm. opportunity being something that you both loved and a place to do that and then get to know each other. And now that I just think it's so cool also to just hear how your friendship journey brought you together into this nonprofit, because a lot of our listeners are going to resonate with so many of the things that you said, because we're all passionate about helping animals, helping the environment and on our journey is trying to figure out how can we best do that and, you know, jumping into different ideas to try it and then having to be patient, like you said, and, and like wait for things to change or things to happen. And, um, it takes a lot of determination, you know, to like, just keep going, um, in this space because it's not a space that always flows that naturally. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, no, that's why I think like podcasts like yours and organizations like love the green life. Um, I think they're so important and they're so influential to people that are looking for that community. They're looking to grow that in their life. They're looking to, um, they, they want to keep up to date with what's happening on the planet. What can they do that's going to actually be effective? Um, we're not fad people. You know, we want to make sure what we're doing is actually something that is going to change the planet for the good. So I think uh, finding that community, I think I found your web, I think I found your blog through Reddit, I believe. Yeah, well, actually, now. I think we met through Wit and Wire. We went, no, we yeah. met through Wit and Wire. Yeah, yeah. 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 We met through Wit and Wire, so which is a podcasting community. Um, <laughs> I think just finding your people is is key. So I'm really excited to talk to your listeners today and give them another avenue, another community that they can touch base with and meet, and we can definitely help serve them in the best way that we can. Yes, I I love it. And so let's let's dig into the whole conversation about building a certified wildlife habitat in our own backyard, because you have both done this, you know, for yourselves and with school at with the school. And um, I think this is just something that is so cool and so approachable. So can we start with will you just tell us all what is a certified wildlife habitat? 
and, um, you know, coming from the National Wildlife Federation, you know, what, what it is in the first place, because people might be kind of going, huh? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Right. Like, are you making your yard a zoo? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. like, do I have to clean up animal scat? <laughs> no. <laughs> my, yard, my yard is almost a zoo. <laughs> you know, so many animals. <laughs> Um, well, the cool part about it is even if you don't certify, it gives you some really cool tips of things you can just add to your yard, you know, so that's what's neat about it is you don't have to like dive completely in, but it's really like easily attainable. When I found, I first found out about this from just a friend on Facebook who was like, look what I did. And you know, I was like, I want that sign for my yard. <laughs> like, that's what I wanted was because the, the you, cute little sign that says. Because basically, <laughs> if you go through this process and you have, you make your backyard or your green space a certified wildlife habitat. Um, I'm a person that likes certificates, stickers. <laughs> it's the teachers that have I, I like rewards. And if you go to nwf.org, their garden for wildlife. If you certify it, that you get a sign for your yard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and really it's cool. a cool sign. It, it is. It that's why I said it's really cute. Yes. <laughs> and it's a cool conversation piece because people like walking down. I have a huge um, like wildflower bed at the end of my like driveway front area by the road. And our sign is like, kind of by there and I'll be out there working and so I'll be like oh but tell me about this you know so it's it's a really neat conversation piece to you know kind of someone who might not at all be involved in this arena that we are in to just learn something and I mean I live in a really wooded area pretty much everybody that lives in that area is hip to nature like that's why you move there but there's still stuff that they, they don't know. So um, yeah, but the cool thing is, so it covers five focuses and it's food, water, cover, places to raise young and sustainable practices. And you have to meet certain amounts for each one to be able to certify. But a lot of it's really easy. Some of it's stuff that like we already had. So for example, like um, cover is just, trees and bushes. So like we are done, you know, like, yeah. So for us, it was easy. Some of it, um, then this was one thing we were talking about before coming on here is like, when we did this for our podcast, we were very specific to our area and our climate. And we talked a lot about some other things that like locally you can do and stuff. So, um, it'll be neat to maybe even hear from you. You might have some other things that might be for like your climate and your, you know, like, cause obviously like you have different animals there in your backyard than we do. Like I have a herd of deer that just live there. They never leave. Like they sleep in the pine trees. Mm -hmm. So, you know, obviously it's different according to where you live. And so, um, that that's interesting to me to maybe see like mm -hmm. what feedback you have for some of this too. And all right. So if you're thinking, okay, I get a cool sign. Is it hard? No, it's not hard. You basically need to do something in those five focus areas. So already we talked about cover. So if you have some type of cover, um, this could even be if you just have a, a barn or a deck or something like that, the animals go under. Um, you can, if even if you have like a, a birdhouse 
or a roosting box, um, any type of like rock pile. I have um, a, a rock wall that's made with like old barnstone that the chipmunks just have created their entire um, labyrinth. <laughs> yeah, their full labyrinth that my dog just make, thinks it's his personal toy. Like, oh, if I bark here, they jump out there. Um, <laughs> and and I, I check out my chipmunks, they tease my dog. But we'll talk about food here in a second, but um, some type of cover. And I guess the next thing would be like water, one water let's, source. Let's, let's talk about cover real quick. Cover, so cover. on, on the cover, um, let's talk about why it's a part of the focus because it's okay. so that they, so that animals can find a place for safety, right? Because mm-hmm. yeah. there's, um, I think in a lot of kind of our neighborhoods that have been created, if there isn't cover available, if there is like a natural disaster or, um, predators, you know, they don't have that natural habitat that they would have had to find cover from these things. Right. And so we're trying to replace that, I guess, and, Mm -hmm. and add, um, add something that gives them a place to go in extreme weather conditions and things like that, which is something that was heartwarming to me to think, because I, you know, every time there's a storm or a tornado, I always think like, Oh, what's happening with all those animals out there and where are they? Yeah. Same. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's where, you know, for this one, you need at least two sources. I feel like I have a source for like every type of animal that's like in my yard. (laughs) I mean, we have, you know, like bug hotels. I have a toad house for like Tommy the toad that lives in my flower bed. (laughs) And, you know, we have your kids involved in making some of this. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Like toad houses. We have a lot of, this one's kind of for your small little critters seashells like from when we've gone on vacation and stuff that the kids have collected um those are just thrown in like the rock piles or it it's in the garden beds there's flowers on top of them but those are great little holes and for (laughs) little tiny critters to go in and find Mm -hmm. um so really you can be creative with it and you can be um design specific with your space if you want it to look very manicured you can with your vegetation animals will still find their way around they'll make it work yeah that's really cool I was thinking too just about how you know so much about the animals in your yard and that comes from like having spent time out there putting this together like you know your toad and you know like I mean that's pretty impressive yeah I was gonna say we recognize yeah certain squirrels my um, really grumpy blue jay. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so mad at me. And the deer and everything. But a lot of that yeah. is just, you know, observing. Like we're constantly looking out. Yeah. At night, I don't know how many times I flip on the light to see what's out there. And something's out there every time I turn it mm-hmm. on, whether it's our skunk family that comes as soon as it becomes dusk or the raccoons or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but we're, you know, we're just always, always looking, always taking yeah. care of like, I even like joked with my mom because I was like, if we ever go on vacation, <laughs> I'm like, who's going to do all this? Like, it's like having a farm, like the amount of like, no, you feeding, do a lot more than I, I know. I know the amount of feeding. I do. I have a very hands off. Yeah. Mine is not mine, <laughs> mine is like having a farm. Yours. You, you come out and say, or mine, my blue Jay has to yell at me. Yeah. I feel, and then I, I have my morning doves waiting for the dog to leave. 
like can they like I have I have pictures of the morning doves every morning on my roof like can that thing leave so we can eat (laughs) is our table ready (laughs) that's so cute but I think I think you're right about observation you got to go outside you have to take your kids go outside and just color just sit out there have your cup of coffee eat a donut I don't care vegan or not (laughs) like (laughs) you have to see what you have um, or else you're going to just be like making a toad house for nothing. And then you're, and then your kid isn't going to, or you're, you're not going to really experience the full circle of it. If you're actually going to help wildlife, then you want to make sure that you're putting your energy into things that are for the animals that are there. And your only, only way you're going to know is if you hang out. That's really kind of a step one that really makes this even more approachable than what uh, we're already saying this is really approachable. You just focus Mm -hmm. on these five areas, you do a few things in each area, but I think even more approachable than that is just starting by going out into the yard and just observing and watching. I think that's a great first step and it makes a lot of sense. And um, like you're both saying, just kind of like take notes, whether it be mentally or physically, but kind of understand who the animals are that are sharing our habitat with us. Mm -hmm. And then what can we do to help them? I think that's a really, um, yeah, that's a really great approach. Yeah. And buying like a butterfly house and putting out there and you've never seen a butterfly, that's not going to help the, Mm -hmm. you know, your environment of where you live. So you have to know what's out there and what you can do then to support Mm -hmm. those specific things that are visiting your yard, Mm -hmm. you know, and it, it, it's different for me than you, even though we live in the same area, Mm -hmm. you know, like our yards have different things and we we have, we have different kinds of birds that come and different, you know, so, um, we don't do exactly the same thing that, you know, Mm-hmm. even though we're in the same area. So you just have to really pay attention to what your yard needs. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where this is nice because you can kind of use this as a little checklist to even yeah. just start like observing like, oh, wow, I, I know. So I have this rock pile. Look what's, what's in it, you know, like chipmunks going in or, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Like you probably like a rock pile that you've never actually looked at before. Like yeah. I've got one <laughs> sitting out here and I'm like, it's, it's there. And it's like, we've always looked at it saying we need to do something with that area at some point, but you know, it's like, other than that, I haven't paid much attention to it. So I think that for me even is a great first step because I don't really know. I'm, I know a few of the little wildlife in my backyard. Um, we don't have a big space and there is very Mm -hmm. little wildlife that actually makes its way into my backyard. But, um, but yeah, anyway, I, so, so there's five areas. Um, we talked about one, which is cover. Mm -hmm. The second is food. So let's dive into food next, because you talked a little bit about, um, plants and bushes and things like that. So what did you do for food? And, and I guess maybe let's, let's start, let's, let's take one step back. Let's, let's start with why we need to provide food sources in our yards, like why it's important. Um, so much like what you said with the cover is that a lot of 
animals, natural resources are being diminished. And I mean, we see all the time I get like completely sick, not in my stomach. Every time I see like an area that has like the for sale sign 86 acres or whatever. And I'm like, Oh, Mm -hmm. like that. Let's talk major goal for love the green life. This is what I want is for us to have enough money that we can buy those places and then do nothing with them. <laughs> That's my goal. Like my husband even says that he's like, man, he's like, if we're ever millionaires, I'm buying all this like vacant land that they're trying to sell to build stuff on. And we're just leaving it. Like, mm-hmm. oh, it'd be amazing. It just like breaks my heart because then you see all those trees, acres and acres just destroyed. And so what happens to those animals? They've lost their shelter. They've lost their food sources, their water sources. So that's why doing this, even if it's at such a small scale, it provides something for them. And so as far as like food sources to certify, you need three sources and it's not really as hard as it seems. Cause you might think, oh my gosh, three sources is a lot, but native plants that they would eat in their own regular habitat, it's pretty easy. You know, um, having plants that have seeds, berries, nuts, nectar, um, even just regular, like the deer like to eat my rhododendron plants. I'm okay with it. It's whatever, eat them. (laughs) (laughs) Except one did pull the one completely like out of the ground. My husband had to replant it. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what they were doing, but, um, you know, some of those native plants can be good for you too, that you can let grow. Yeah. Um, for example, we have a bunch of wild, like from the back, like a lot of wild grapes, um, which my kids could eat. They're, they're not the most flavorful. Um, you know, they're, they're pretty tart, but it's fun for the kids and, and the all bunch of animal, much of wildlife, the deer come possums, we have raccoons, mm-hmm. um, they can eat that. So it doesn't necessarily have to be again, like a manicured garden that you make, like this is my bird plant. It can just be something as simple as you buy a wildflower seed packet and you just like chuck it. Okay. <laughs> which we've had, which I did, which I know we've had kids do in the past with like a dead end of the playground. Mm. They literally just grab chunks of wild, like handfuls of wildflower seeds and just threw them. And then we saw what happened, mm-hmm. but nature take its course. And that's really fun. So and I think something else is like supplemental bird feeders. Yeah. So I know that's something I've worked on in my yard as we were moving into a new space with bird feeders, making sure you're getting um, bird seed for the birds that you have um, or that you see. Um, I was lucky that the homeowners, um, before we bought our house, they were avid bird watchers. And so they kept track of all the different species of birds that they would sit and uh, enjoy. So that was nice. So then I knew right off the bat, like what to get, like, I knew that they liked, um, black oil sunflower seeds and not some of the other stuff. So I didn't waste my money. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's cool. Yeah. And okay. also under like supplemental bird feeders that can count as like hummingbird feeders too. Um, so it doesn't have to just be seed or whatever birds you have in yeah. your area, because I'm sure that's what we have around here. Mm-hmm. I know in our podcast episode about this, about creating your own um, wildlife habitat, we talked about the Purple Martins in Summit County, where we are. Um, we have a conservation society in our in our county for those birds. So these are also things that you can maybe 
if you want to step out of your comfort zone a little bit and maybe see what your local metro parks or rangers or what um, the forestry and wildlife people in your area, um, what they're doing. So you can maybe support those efforts. Mm, that's a really good idea. Yeah, because it is so native to each area, you know? Yeah, so yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, and supporting, like once again, just what you have. Like we have a hummingbird feeder because I have hummingbirds that come, you know, every year and they come multiple times a day. I make my own hummingbird nectar so it doesn't have like red dye or anything like that in it. But then we also have, you know, bird feeders. I have a deer feeder. I have a squirrel feeder. Mm-hmm. So that's why I said it's like running a farm. But I, I don't have hummingbird stuff because my blue jays will hurt them. My, I have my blue, my blue jays, my blue jay is very dominant. It's very much a territory. If I try to attract hummingbirds, I would be, I mean, the circle of life. Somebody could argue, Natalie, you're bringing them food. I don't wake up and choose violence if I don't have to. (laughs) I mean, it would be kind of devastating, you know, and I'm sure it's happened many a time. I'm sure it happens, like, but I don't, so I don't have. You don't want to be the one in in control of that I don't want to, like, have some, like, squid game going on with my hummingbirds and the blue jays. No can't do that. Um, let's quickly hit on the other three. Uh, so water is one, um, what, uh, what, yeah. Why, why bring in water and what have you guys done? Well, for water, you only need one source. So that's a really easy one. And I feel like really the why is kind of the same of what we've been talking about, just being able to help provide for those, clean. Yeah. Habitat so they can clean. Yep. Um, bird baths. So you only need one source. That's a really easy one source. I have three bird baths, like throughout my yard, like one in the front, two in the back. I have two. Um, I have a deep one and a shallow. Yep. Yeah. Like plate one. Yep. I have a shallower one too. That's in like my flower bed right outside the window. So it's cute. The squirrels drink out of there. So mm-hmm. do my feral cats. And a bird taking a bath. <laughs> is like the strongest antidepressant. Oh my gosh. Yes. Oh, so, just to yeah. watch them. Yes. Oh, there's no like plump. Oh, that's so cute. Oh, sweet. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good, like, um, part about all of this, right? Yeah. Because we do oh, know yeah. connecting with nature yeah. really helps with anxiety and depression. And this is like such a great way to do that. Like where you don't have to leave your house because a lot of times we don't want to leave our house, you know? Yeah. And you can feel better just at home. Yeah. 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 And if you have like a natural pond or stream or some kind of water yeah, source, you already have it. But if you don't, and if you are in a place where you're like, Hey, I live in an apartment and I just have this patio, you can have a water dish out there, you know, like, mm-hmm. I mean, you can create something that really works in whatever area you're in. Like we both have larger yards. We have the space to have multiple bird baths mm-hmm. and, um, and I'm close to with that. Comes, yeah. And with that comes though, you have to be able to maintain, maintain that though. Like I have to scrub with my brush daily, you know, those yeah, bird baths keep and keep them clean and fill them with fresh water. And, you know, but then I see the deer drinking out of them 
and like they come right up to my window and drink out of the one outside the window and like it still gets me excited even though like they really never leave I'm like oh they're right there (laughs) (laughs) and like that's amazing for my four-year-old you know like I, I I don't think he fully gets it that like deer don't just live in everybody's yard you know what I mean like he just like walks out and talks to them like you know it's like having a dog out there like to him it's like no big okay. deal mm-hmm. but um you know I like I even say to him like do you realize how cool this is like <laughs> <laughs> like people don't have like a herd of deer that just live here and they don't leave you know like and and then he'll see the raccoons out there and stuff like that I was like this is like a treasure like like yeah. treasure this moment. This is cool. <laughs> it really is. It really is amazing. And, you know, it's like, maybe we can't all get to the point where we have, you know, a herd of deer living in yeah. our yard, but we can connect to some sort of wildlife mm-hmm. that will be able to, to be there. Um, and like you said, you brought up the apartment, which I was thinking, yeah, it's like, how do you do this if you're in an apartment and you just do it in on the scale that you have available? I was also thinking if people are feeling moved to do it at their apartment, maybe there's room to influence the landowner mm-hmm. To, mm-hmm. to do something outside of the building. Yeah. And even creating like the rooftop like a rooftop oh, yeah. garden and like things like that, like depending on I've seen where you really are cool or rooftop sanctuaries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or if it's like a apartment complex that does have some land, mm-hmm. like you said, like making this like a community effort or something like that. And or even if you have a shared garden, you know, it, even it because your wildlife habitat can just, I mean, you could easily check off all these things for just bees, just or just pollinators. So maybe you have a garden and you just want to bring pollinators into your space, you could certify that garden as a wildlife habitat if you were doing specific things for just those pollinators. So if you're hearing, you know, we're doing a lot for mammals here, a lot for birds, maybe you just want to get some, you know, prop, like healthy insects to help your garden. You could do that. Mm-hmm. And then it helps their populations, which is a huge thing we all need to be working on, right? Yeah. So, yep, absolutely. yeah, yeah. Um, okay, the next section places to raise their young, which is also, once again, super important as habitats are being diminished mm-hmm. um, because it's not safe for them to, if they don't have a space for them to be able to raise young safely, you know, their populations are going to dwindle and they're not going to be able to thrive. So being able to give them that space to, if you have the ability is Mm -hmm. another thing that's amazing. So, um, this is two places to have one that's easy is trees or shrubs. So there's like one that, you know, most yards already have that, um, having like, you kind of just started to talk about like pollinators, having like caterpillar host plants, Mm -hmm to, you know, be able to help butterflies thrive. Um, have it, if you have a pond for amphibians, if you have bird nesting boxes. So it, it doesn't have to be as, um, like you don't have to think about, oh, I don't have any space for mm-hmm. this deer family. You know, like I'm lucky I do. We have a whole like lot in between me and my neighbor that is just woods that there's no housing there. So a lot of things live in there. So I have that ability that that just already exists, but you can easily help other animals than just those by having some easy little 
yeah. places, you know, even just like I said, we have a toad house, you know, that provides cover, but it's also a place where little baby toads can live. And they're super cute. They're like this big. <laughs> so cute. But they're like a, an inch. Not even. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can even have a place to raise young. Like I was thinking of bat boxes. Yeah. So say you have a lot of mosquitoes are an animal that most people don't love and adore. Mosquitoes <laughs> eat like thousands and thousands of, or I'm sorry, bats eat thousands and thousands mm-hmm. of mosquitoes a night. Put a bat house up. There are some specifications to bat houses, depending on the species of bat that you might have in your area. So again, just a tiny, tiny bit of legwork, but because you have to have a certain height and width, and, and it things. has to have the sun hit it first. So yeah, there's there some supposed to be bat houses, but put up a bat house. The bats can raise their young. Um, Jess in our podcast, she talks about them things that her and her husband did to modify the bat house to protect to it. Yeah. Maybe we don't need to go into like the whole thing, but bad houses, then you take care of your mosquito problem in your backyard. <laughs> that's Yeah. That's awesome. And it's like, it, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's also kind of dips into another conversation, which is one that I'm really hoping to have on the podcast at some point, but is about like natural pest control, you know, because yeah. there's so much that like, actually balances itself in the environment if it's mm-hmm. given the ability to yeah. do that yeah so yeah yeah and like if you already have bats like we have bats I see them circle at night so I'm like please stay here because we live in the woods and mosquitoes are mm-hmm. awful like we can't sit outside at night it does not work um I can more than my husband he's like the magnet for them and he's like I'm getting all up I'm like I haven't even had one near me <laughs> Like we can stay out here all night. (laughs) We're the same here. Same story. And then he's like completely covered in like golf ball size. (laughs) We do have an episode on lawn and garden care. Yeah. So yeah. Love the green life. Mm -hmm. The love the green life podcast. We do have, it's part of our home series. We over the summer, we had a whole home series and one of them was lawn care. So we do, we do mention some pest control options um, that are sustainable and balanced for the environment. Awesome. Okay, cool. We'll link to that in the show notes for everybody. Um, So the last one is sustainable practices. And this I know gets into kind of like the soil and um, Mm -hmm. it's, it's all about how do you, now you've set the place up, how do you make it sustainable? Right. Um, What did you guys do for sustainable practices? There's three groups and you need at least two of them. So the three groups are soil and water conservation, um, control invasive exotic species and organic practices. So you need at least two of those. So I felt like, I mean, a lot of these I already had. So under soil and water conservation, that includes limiting your water usage, composting, using mulch, um, reducing like um, pavement. So you have more lawn or not as much lawn, more of just the natural vegetation that's there. Yes, so less yes, lawn, yeah, that's more natural vegetation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, installing a rain barrel, which we talked a lot about on ours because she had has had a rain barrel for a while. I just got one this spring and it has been incredible. Just, it's so awesome to use it. It's so convenient too. I've like barely turned on my hose because I used to spend like over an hour watering all my stuff and like draining our well because it used so much water. So that has been an amazing like water conservation. So um, under 
Like, say you didn't want to do any of those. That was too much. <laughs> um, maybe I, I, have you ever heard of those places where you can like smash a car to like relieve your stress? Yes. Okay. Stress relief. Just figure out what the invasive species is in your yard and pull the crud out of it. So we had like, I forget what it was. It was like a, it's a type of morning glory vine, but it's not a morning glory mm-hmm. that was growing all over our backyard. We had to tear that out mm. and, and just removing that invasive plant <laughs> yeah. counts. Yep. Um, also, if you're, if you have cats, um, keeping them indoors, I think that could be a little controversial because some people really like their cats outdoors too. Yeah. I mean, the purpose of that is because cats can do a lot of damage to the wildlife that you're attracting. That's if you're waking up and choosing violence. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So like my cats, maybe you don't let your cats out. My cats stay indoors. I have three, but then I have two feral cats that I take care of outside. And it's because I have that I don't have a choice. Like it's taken me two years. I finally can pet the one. The other one I still can't touch. So I care for them. But because I feed them like three times a day, okay, they're the most like well taken care of feral <laughs> cats. I even give them little vitamins and everything to boost their immune systems. Um, we are so opposite on this. I am like the crazy cat lady. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I said if we ever go on vacation, I have to pay like a farm hand to take care of my like wildlife. But um they they really don't bother any of the like they'll be laying out there and the squirrels are like running around them. They don't really bother them. I think because they're like like they're like lazy outdoor cats now. <laughs> but I still can't physically bring them in yet because um they're they're not able no. to they're not able to I handle think that when it comes to like doing something that is you know you're controlling exotic species you're controlling the species in your yard yeah I'm so still you're, controlling them but I, and I'm yeah. not adding to it by letting my cats to out too so that's know. a really easy one to grab I mm-hmm. think if you're like I don't know how to certify yeah that's gonna be a really hard one um the last one is like that you could choose from is organic practices so kind of like what you were saying with the mosquitoes and sprays, um, eliminating chemical pesticides and fertilizers. We talk more about um, this in our episode about lawn and garden care um, and also attracting any beneficial insects. So even if you just have something to attract those pollinators, that counts. So a lot of these things kind of can do double duty too, which is nice. Yeah. Yep. And so then, um, you know, as, as you all are talking, just in case anyone didn't follow this piece. So as they say, you know, this counts or, you know, you need to do two things or one thing, what this all is, is to get the national, national, (laughs) natural wildlife. certified natural habitat certification um, the NWF offers. And Mm -hmm. it's really kind of like a cute certification that you can get for your yard, but you can do all of these things even without the certification to to make your yard um, a a better natural habitat. Uh, But the certification is pretty straightforward. You do you check off little things in these five mm-hmm. buckets we've talked about and you turn it in into the National Wildlife Federation and you you get a certificate and a really cute sign that Jess and Natalie were talking about at the beginning that you can put in your yard. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just such a cool, great way to give back it within yeah. our realm of control. So yeah, I yeah. really love it. Um, 
yeah, I, I love it. I'm so glad that you guys are willing to come on and talk about it. You know, we wrap up every episode with one simple idea, and this is one idea off the top of your head. You can either both share one or you can share one together that listeners could do to make a difference for animals and the environment within their daily lives today. Okay. Well, we have your simple idea and then we have a stretch goal. Okay. In case, perfect. In case you're an overachiever. We have overachievers around have overachievers. here. <laughs> yeah, actually, I'm going to call out one of my listeners, Amy, because this is for her, because she's always asking me for harder things. So Amy, this one's for you. <laughs> so a simple idea is to um, really pull aside 15 minutes of your time and just sit in your outdoor space and just bring a book, color, journal, a journal, mm-hmm. drink a cup of coffee, um, and just be aware, um, of what you're seeing, smelling, <laughs> hearing, get aware of the wildlife that's around you. So that's our first step. Like is just spend some time and connect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause if, if you're going to care about doing any of this, you need to make that connection. So just being able to observe. And if you have children, you know, a lot, a lot of times we focus on families and how to do this with with kids. That's a great way to get kids to start caring Mm -hmm. is, you know, let's sit out here. Let's, you know, my son just had this as a homework assignment to sit for three minutes and listen and then draw what he heard. And so he sat out in our little patio was drawing, you know, the birds and the crickets. I didn't hear a cricket, but Mm -hmm. Whatever. Oh yeah. But yeah. You know, so just, that's the best way to really start caring is by just noticing. Mm-hmm. And my stretch goal, this is for those of you that are like, well, that's fine, but I need a little bit more for a simple idea is to, um, explore your, or get in contact with your local division of wildlife and reach out to the most of the time you can just call the, um, the naturalists, or you can call the ranger stations and just chat with them. um, My dad is one of these people. These people will talk nature all day. Okay. So call them, call them up, call the ranger station. I worked for a, um, a uh, township parks and rec department um, that was one of my first jobs. The naturalist there, she would chat with people in the community all day. They'd call her up and say, Hey, I found this snake <laughs> or whatever. So um, my stretch goal would be to contact your local division of wildlife, whether that would be a conservation effort, a metro park, a park system. Um, I'm luckily close to a state park. Um, we have national parks in our area. Mm-hmm. Um, connect with them because they're going to be, they're going to have a pulse on the environment. They're going to know the animals um, like their children. They're going to know that stuff. So go reach out to an expert. That's awesome. That's such a good idea. And how cool that you grew up like with a dad who does that too. That's really Oh cool. yeah. That's really Oh cool. yeah. I, I would like to say like side story is that my dad has gardened my whole life, but he didn't start gardening until I was in preschool. And I brought home a marigold and I was like, don't kill it. That's my marigold. So my dad planted a marigold and I was so enthralled by this entire process that he bought more and ended up landscaping the front. And then now he has a full victory garden in his backyard with 
um, a greenhouse he made from completely upcycled materials. And, um, you know, it's fantastic. It's a great, you know, that garden is a really cool piece of our family and how we interact with our community. So wow. it, it's, yeah, that's really so cool. just observer, just observing. That's how I started as a little kid, as a preschooler, just observing a flower growing from a seed that I had, like it was the coolest thing. So again, it all starts with observation. That's really cool. Really cool. So if anyone wants to get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to find you guys? You can check out our website at lovethegreenlife.org. And we are on Facebook and Instagram at lovethegreenlife.org. And um, on our website, it has a link to our podcast. Our podcast is just Love the Green Life. And we are on like all the major platforms like Spotify and Apple, Google, iHeartRadio. Yeah, iHeartRadio. Cool. We will link to all of it in the show mm-hmm. notes and to the specific episodes. So the episode where Jess and Natalie talked in detail about what they do in their backyards, as well as the one about lawn and garden yeah, care. We'll jump yeah, okay. yeah, awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, guys, for coming on. And uh, we will see you all soon. Bye. Right, bye. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed listening to that chat as much as I loved being a part of it. Thank you so much for hanging out and listening through the whole episode. I'm feeling really excited about trying this in my Los Angeles backyard and getting really dreamy about doing this in my new Florida backyard in about a year or so. Uh, A reminder that today's show notes are available at foranimalsforearth.com slash podcast slash 63. I have a little feedback to ask if you enjoyed the episode will you please share it with one of your friends or consider leaving a rating and a review on apple uh every teensy tiny little bit of sharing really helps so so much i can't even begin to tell you thank you enough for doing that Uh, if you'd like to connect with me directly please reach out on instagram at four animals for earth you can dm me there you can email me as well at hello at four animals for earth.com if you don't hear back from me that most likely means that somehow it ended up in my junk mail folder but i do want to hear from you so if that doesn't work you can really find me pretty much everywhere at four animals for Earth, Facebook, Pinterest, LinkedIn, <laughs> everywhere. So come say hi. A reminder that the free library is there for you, and I'd love to have you on my email list. You can do that at foranimalsforearth.com slash free library. All right. Thanks so much. I'll see you next week. Bye.